Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. At 17 in a row for the Cardinals, who have clinched the second wildcard spot in the National League. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, September 29th. Frank Stample joined, as always, by Scotty Dubs. Scott White here to take a look at Scott's first two rounds for 2022. Currently live on the site. We're going to recap the past couple of days. And I do have a fantasy justice question towards the end of the podcast, but... Scott, the story right now is the St. Louis Cardinals, man. 17 in a row. They take down Brandon Woodruff on Tuesday. Adam Wainwright, six innings of two-run ball. He picks up his 17th win of the year, 305 ERA, 106 whip, and he's done it over 200 innings, 206 and a third to be exact. Only four starting pitchers have done that this year. You're, you're talking about Adam Wainwright, right? Yeah, did I, did I not say I Adam? think you said something else. Oh. I heard a Woodruff in there. Oh, well, they beat up on Woodruff. Okay. And then All I think right. I got to Wainwright. I don't know. Maybe I was only half listening. We're off to a great start here. <laughs> Hopefully I said it correct. But uh, <laughs> the main thing that I wanted to get at is the fact that he's maintained these ratios over 200 innings and and only four pitchers have got to that mark this year. Zach Wheeler, Sandy Alcantara, Wayno, uh, and now Walker Bueller after Tuesday night as well. It's <laughs> It's been an awesome run here for both Wainwright and, and the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, it has. Uh, Adam Wainwright's been one of the more interesting players this year. Interesting in the sense that where did this come from and and where does he go next? And uh, I don't really have the answer to either one of those questions. That's what makes it interesting. He he is planning to play one more year. He's already 40. So, uh, you know, it it makes sense that he's thinking about retirement. And uh, it looks like next year is going to be the last year for him. You know, I'm I'm not I don't I don't see myself making a big investment in him as valuable as he was this year, and he was what a, a top ten pitcher when you add everything up. I think that's right. Sounds right. Yeah, um, but it, is he even going to be in the top thirty for me? I kind of doubt it. Four, six, eight, ten, eleven. He was the eleventh starting pitcher in five by five roto entering Tuesday night, and the fifty fourth overall player. Uh, just behind Brandon Woodruff, ironically enough. So I wonder if, you know, the sixth the sixth pitcher in points leagues for what it's worth entering entering uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean that that volume has just been massive for uh, Adam Wainwright this season. Oh, you so, know what? Otani's combined score is is listed here, so it's actually the fifth best starting pitcher, Adam Wainwright, in points oh, leagues. You know what? It's funny you bring that up because the same thing for uh, for. Roto, if you look at Otani, he is the number one starting pitcher technically, but that's more so because of his 
his hitting stats. So that would make him two, four, six, eight, the tenth ten. best starting pitcher. Ten. Yeah. Ten. Yeah. So either top five or top ten, depending what format you're talking about. Sheesh, man. What a year for Wayno. But uh yeah, I, I mentioned this on our last podcast. I feel bad for the Dodgers or Giants, whoever has to host the Cardinals in that one game playoff because they are surging right now. Thanks to mention Wainwright, obviously, uh, and then Nolan Arenado hit his 34th home run of the season, 105 RBI. It's a pretty, pretty good year. Obviously, the batting average is, is lower than it has been in years past. And I've got a close eye on the Seattle Mariners right now who uh, just extended their lead to 4-2. to Mitch Hanniger hit his 38th home run of the season. And I'm rooting for the Mariners for multiple reasons. Obviously, they haven't been in the postseason forever. It would be awesome. And uh, let's get the Red Sox out of the wild card, right? Like That would be phenomenal uh, from my perspective, a Yankee fan perspective. So uh, obviously not for the Boston fans out there, but it would be a cool story to get the Mariners in the playoffs. Let's talk about fantasy. Uh, we haven't really done that much yet. Oh, my good, goodness gracious. All right, Scotty. Obviously, there's not much that we can do in terms of give people advice at this point in the season. We're halfway through the final week, but an oh my goodness gracious player for you. Well, one that we haven't had much reason to talk about because who on earth would recommend him <laughs> is Eugenio Suarez. But it turns out he's having a great month, great final month. Um, better late than never, I guess, that he shows up to the 2021 season, hit his seventh home run of the month. He is batting... Uh, well over 300 for the month. And, um, you know, if, if you had the foresight to know this was going to happen, obviously he would have been well worth starting this final month. Um, does it really change anything? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, obviously he was a fairly high draft pick this year. He was definitely a high draft pick last year. His combined batting average between those two years is um, it's under 200. So strikes out way too much. Was actually, has been a below replacement level for the Reds, below replacement level player for the Reds this year, a negative war uh, from Eugenio Suarez. So I don't even know what motivation they're going to have to play him. He is signed long-term. That, that's really what saves him from going, I guess, the the Chris Carter route, you know, big power hitter who just doesn't do enough of anything else and eventually uh, gets pushed out of the league at a young age. Save Suarez from that. Obviously, the expectation that there's going to be a DH spot in play in the NL next year. You know, maybe that gets Suarez, ensure Suarez gets close to every day at bat still. But, you know, we don't, we don't know who else is going to be on the Reds next year. And, I, I would suspect Jesse Winker would want to. They'd want him to spend some time in the DH spot. Uh, maybe Joey Votto. You know, it's it's really the the bottom line is that Eugenio Suarez, based on his performance the last two years and especially this year, doesn't deserve doesn't really deserve a job anymore. He's going to get it because of his contract status, and and maybe he'll be able to pull out of it since he is capable of hitting the ball. Uh, out of the park with some regularity, but um, I have no faith in him anymore. And this final month doesn't change that. I did pull up his September numbers on fan graphs to see if he's doing anything differently. He's still striking out quite a bit, 28% of the time. That's been normal for him the past couple of years, even when he had those monster seasons, but the line drive rate up to 
right around 24%, 50% fly ball rate. Uh, and his fly balls are just flying out of the park at a more regular uh, pace than they they normally have. Well, at a higher pace than they normally have. So that's definitely helped him. You know, it, it was a weird year for him coming in because they, they tried experiment throwing him at shortstop. And it's something that he's played in the past. But like, if you ever watched him play shortstop, he's he's awful there. I, I mean, he made a ton of errors earlier in the season too. And uh, it doesn't really explain things. But when you look at what he's done by position, by defensive position, in games that he started at shortstop, he hit 164. So like... That's that was only that turned out to be like thirty three games, but I mean that's 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 pretty bad. Well, Over thirty three. What, what, what are the stats at third base? Yeah, they're not much better. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a it's like a two oh five batting average or something like that. But I think the combination of like forcing him to play shortstop and then him being bad there, like it could have you know messed with his mentality while he was batting. Whatever it is, he is having an, an awesome September. So. Uh, I'd, I'd be more forgiving if he didn't also have the 2020 season he had. Yeah, that's true. And he did. He had shoulder surgery in early 2020. Prior to 2020. Yeah, in yeah. January of 2020. So, I mean, we could still be dealing with some lingering effects there. Uh, yeah, it's a 205 batting average while playing third base this year, 723 OPS. So it, it's still bad, but um, it was much worse at shortstop. So just something to keep in mind. I don't think that he's going to be on standard league radars, but... You know, if he gets off to a hot start next year, maybe he's someone we look into uh, to picking to picking back up. Oh my goodness gracious! For me, I want to talk about Luis Robert, who hit a double dong on Tuesday, three forty nine batting average, twelve homers, five steals in sixty four games. Now, this is going to get me in trouble, but let's have some fun. Let's let's play around with this. He's played one hundred and twenty major league games to this point, two ninety eight batting average, twenty three homers, fourteen steals. Obviously, if you expand that over 150 games, you're looking at something like high 20s home runs and high teens in steals with obviously a great batting average. He's made huge gains in strikeouts this year, lowering his strikeout rate from 32% in the shortened season last year to 20% this year. His line drive rate is way up this season. So obviously, those two things in conjunction will lead to a higher BABIP and a higher batting average for Luis Robert. But last season is also a cautionary tale for these smaller sample sizes, Scott. So he is a player that we'll talk about a little bit later on, some foreshadowing. You have him going in your second round for 2022. But didn't we kind of just fall for this? We bought into players based on a 60-game season last year. He's only played 64 games this season. What do we do? Well, um, I think you consider the pedigree. I think you consider... What our hopes were for Luis Robert all along. And the only thing in my mind that was dashing those hopes in his rookie season was how much he struck out. And like, it's been other end of the spectrum this year. And look, his BABIP is well over 400. I, I don't think a 350 batting average is realistic moving forward. I, I would say that for any player who hits 350. But is a 300 batting average realistic? I mean, he's he's clearly raised the bar for what um, for what his final stat line could look like. To to me, he's given himself a much higher ceiling by reducing his strikeout rate by that much. And I'm I'm not saying there's no cause for concern. For instance, since coming back from the injury in August, right mid August, he's stolen one base. That's it. 
and and that's a big part of what we expect from Luis Robert is, is stealing bases. He was coming back from a a tear in his hip, so you could understand maybe why they want him to be careful on the base paths. Hopefully, hopefully that's just a, a condition for this season, and and next year he'll get back to running like we expected him to. Um, but in, in terms of being a hitter, I think. I think Luis Robert has there's evidence that he's made major strides and and we knew he had a high ceiling to begin with. So I think it makes sense to draft him that early next year, particularly in a roto league. Maybe not as much in a points league. I I mostly made these these rankings that we're going to discuss later for roto leagues. Okay. And he, he still needs to prove that he can stay healthy for the course of a full season obviously, so that's something that's also in the back of my mind and I said all of that just to play devil's advocate because I'm 100% with you. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be very aggressive on Luis Robert next year. So I, I, I agree with you. And even look at the XBA on Statcast 289 uh, there. So look, even if he's a 290 hitter, 290 with you know 25 plus home runs, 15 steals, great counting stats, and an awesome lineup, that's going to be worthy of being a, a top two round player, I believe. In, in Roto mm-hmm. Leagues, Category Leagues for next season. Scotty, we had some prospects that are being called up better late than never. I know. Uh, like, what's the point? Yeah, right? It's it's pretty interesting, but uh, let's talk about them because I got a few questions today and, and people want to know if they can stream Pirates starting pitching prospect Ro- Ronzi Contreras, who's being called up Wednesday to face the Chicago Cubs, and he came over in the Jamison Tyone trade, and we spoke about him earlier in the season because he was just putting up Awesome numbers. He's 21 years old. He made 12 starts at AA this year, one start at AAA, and combined he has a 2.64 ERA, 0.93 whip, 82 strikeouts, over 58 innings pitch. I know he was dealing with, I believe it was an arm injury earlier in the year, which forced him to miss a bunch of starts. Obviously, he's only mm, made thir- all of July and August. Yeah, he's only he just, made 13 starts overall. So he, he's made, he's come back and made four appearances and. He has not thrown more than three and two-thirds in any of those four starts that he made uh, since returning from injury. He hasn't thrown more than 65 pitches in any of those starts. So all of those things considered, I think it's going to be fun to watch his debut on Wednesday. I just don't know if he's going to be worthy of picking up and streaming if you play in a daily league. You're pointing out that the most the, the most he's gone since coming back is three and two-thirds innings. That, that basically answers the question, right? But I, I don't even know... And, and I know, I know. I said the same thing about Shane Boz, and people can hold that over me now because one, he surprisingly got that second start in his first week up, and, and ended up being two great starts that a lot of people could have benefited from, and maybe did if they didn't listen to me. But just as a matter of principle, with your season on the line, inserting a player who's never appeared in a big league game before, and especially a pitcher really any player what what kind of mindset do you have to be in to do that like that you have to be in real desperate desperation mode i think to to take that kind of leap on a guy like who knows how it could go he could walk eight guys like we have no expect we have no idea what to expect from a pitcher in his major league debut shane boss was arguably the best pitching prospect in baseball so there's an easier case to make for him but Rowanzi Contreras, is that how you say it? I believe it's Ronzi. Ronzi? Yes. Um, yeah, uh, not so much for him. 
All right, so definitely going to be watch, uh, watching. Interested to see what he does in his major league debut, but do not pick up and start Contreras there on Wednesday. The Mariners promoted pitching prospect Matt Brash on Tuesday, though uh, to this point in that game, he has not pitched, and it's the eighth inning, so I don't, I don't, I would imagine he's not going to pitch in this game. But Scott, he's someone that you've mentioned before, has an absolutely wicked slider, and has put up gaudy numbers this season in the minor leagues. Obviously, we're not picking him up, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what he does in relief uh, these last couple of days before the season ends. Maybe the biggest riser among, certainly among pitching prospects, I would say, just because this was a guy the Mariners acquired for Taylor Williams last year from the Padres for Taylor Williams, who was at the time their closer, but like not. (laughs) Not a good reliever and not even around anymore, you know? I love how hard you always accentuate Taylor Williams. Well, like, I just... <laughs> I, who, who imagined... Who would have imagined that trade would have these this kind of long-term ramifications, potentially, if Matt Brash uh, ends up being everything we dream he can be now with that slider, arguably the best slider in the minors. Some scouts have rated it as such. And a great fastball, too. Uh, 70 grade fastball potentially. His swinging strike rate, let's see, in double A specifically, I think it's even better. Yeah, over uh, around 16% uh, with a 213 ERA at double A. Too many walks, too many walks. It's, that's still something he's going to have to work on. But you can miss, when you can miss as many bats as he does at this stage of his career, I'm, I'm willing to bet on you. Yeah, for sure. We, we've mentioned multiple times, man, the Mariners have so much talent in their farm system that's going to be uh, coming in, in the but, next couple of years. And, and Matt Brash is, is one of those now. Well, so. Yeah, I mean, they have plenty of pitchers with bigger names than Matt Brash. And I think Brash has the potential to be the best of them. I, I think the the um, the leader at this point, the leading contender for that is George Kirby. But, you know, there's Emerson Hancock and well, Logan Gilbert, of course, got called up this year. Yep, and um, I've even I've heard Brandon Williamson's name thrown around. Obviously, yeah. not as high end as those other ones, but yeah. yeah, I mean he's he's a name. So, linked to this decision to call up Matt Brash, by the way, is it looks like Yose, uh, Yusei Kikuchi is out of the rotation. So, there was some speculation maybe Brash would start in place of Kikuchi, but I think today was Kikuchi's turn, right? And and they just ended up starting Tyler Anderson instead. So, um. I don't know. Maybe that says something about Kikuchi going forward. I suspect he'll still be in the rotation next year and to begin the year, but he he seems to have lost some faith. The Mariners seem to have lost some faith in him. Yeah, the Mariners started Tyler Anderson on short rest. He pitched two innings on Saturday. He got destroyed, which we mentioned. He gave up nine earned runs in that start, uh, and then he went four innings here on Tuesday. He only gave up one run. And again, the Mariners are leading 4-2 in the eighth inning. Some news and notes from the past couple days. Jacob deGrom will officially not pitch again this season, which comes as no surprise, obviously. Uh, The Reds placed Luis Castillo on the family emergency list on Monday, but he will return and make his final start on Friday against the Pirates. And I hope that he goes off and he gets that ERA below four. Because given everything that he gone through like that he went through the first two months of the season I believe his ERA is at 407 or 408 so if he has a big start he might actually get it below four so I'm rooting for you Luis Castillo Ryan Presley was unavailable for Tuesday's win over the Rays due to a knee injury that is quote 
bothered him in the past, according to Dusty Baker. Starling Marte has missed the last two games with a lat injury. Jamison Tyone returned Tuesday, and then he exited early Tuesday after re-aggravating his ankle injury. Brandon Belt was placed on the IL with a fractured thumb retroactive to September 27th, and they mentioned about a four-week timeline for him, so it sucks because he's having an awesome year, and obviously the Giants are expecting to make a pretty deep run in the postseason. It sounds like uh, they'll have to do that without Brandon Belt. Michael Brantley could return from the IL in the next two to three days. Anthony Santander went to the IL with a sprained right knee. Astros manager Dusty Baker said Tuesday that Zach Greinke will probably not make another regular season start and that there is a distinct possibility that Greinke works out of the bullpen during the playoffs. So Interesting there. I mean, he's kind of slowed down here in the second half and... Uh, I'm not sure how much success he would have out of the bullpen. It doesn't seem like his arsenal would be the kind that translates to that role very well. So that that is interesting. But yeah, he's they, they have a lot of good pitchers, and he's been pretty unreliable of late. I wonder if they would use him in conjunction with a pitcher that has a different style than him. So someone who, I don't know, who throws a little bit harder, like a Christian Javier, something like that, have Christian Javier throw a couple of innings to open the game, and then maybe Granky throws a few innings too. And, you know, the combination of the two different styles, throw, throwing opposing yeah. lineups off. So. Or, or it might be, you know, obviously you see starting pitchers get hooked, get pulled earlier in playoff games. Yeah. If, if it just, if, it, if, if they're just having too much trouble early on. Uh, they'll get pulled really early, and, and maybe Granky ends up making like a five and a third inning relief appearance or something. I could see that. Yep. I'm getting excited for postseason baseball, Scott. I mean, even I don't think the Yankees are going to do much, but just in general, like the weather cooling down here in the Northeast and, and being able to watch baseball without like any fantasy implications, it's. It's pretty fun, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Yanny Diaz was removed removed Tuesday due to left rib discomfort. Brady Singer was removed from his start due to right upper arm discomfort. Andrew Benintendi exited with an apparent knee injury. Nick Anderson was placed back on the IL while Andrew Kittredge was reinstated by the Tampa Bay Rays. And Andrew Kittredge pitched on Tuesday his uh, first day back, and I believe he was used. In the, the sixth. sixth inning, yeah. Yeah. So he pitched in the sixth, and then they had Josh Fleming come in in the ninth, and he got into trouble, and then JT Chargois. It was like a walk-off. I believe it was a walk-off walk that they allowed. So with the bases loaded, it was it was a messy end to that game for the Tampa Bay Rays. Carlos Rodon will start Wednesday against the Reds, but my guess is he's on a short leash, and... There's a really early mock draft going on right now that I saw some some analysts uh, around the industry taking part in. And uh, Matt Williams, someone we've had on this podcast before, he tweeted it out. And Carlos Rodon was the SP23 off the board in that, uh, look, it's way too early mock draft, obviously, uh, at pick 73. What do you think, Scotty? Early takeaways, SP23, first pick of the seventh round, Carlos Rodon? Yeah, I didn't see that actually because I I I was looking at that the results of that draft too to get some ideas for you know to make sure I wasn't missing anybody in in the first two rounds. So he went before Jack Flaherty. He went before Logan Webb. Went before you Darvish a couple rounds before you Darvish actually, and Charlie Morton a couple rounds before him. 
It's kind of messy. The, the whole thing is kind of messy there at starting pitcher. You know, obviously, I'd feel a lot better about it if really, it, it really, it just comes down to the velocity issues Rodon's been having. That it's been kind of all over the place as they've as they've ramped him down here this month, and uh, just wondering if he's completely healthy. That would be the biggest concern for me about Rodon going into next year. He's a free agent, so he's going to have to pass a physical for somebody. If he has a clean bill of health entering draft prep season next year, I think probably top 25 makes sense, I think. Though I would draft him behind some of those who I mentioned who went after him. Yep, unrestricted free agent, as you mentioned. So it will be interesting to see where Carlos Rodon lands and you know whether or not he's on the White Sox playoff roster, how he looks. Uh, I think Wednesday is is going to be um, a nice little indication as well for that. So all eyes on the velocity for Carlos Rodon, who's who's really slowed up here in the final month of the season. And it makes sense, right? Like the guy just hasn't pitched much the past couple of years, and he was so awesome earlier in the year and, and going all out and with the velocity as high as it was. It, I think it makes sense um, that he kind of came back down to earth here. Padres manager Jace Tingler said, you Darvish's start against the Dodgers on Tuesday will likely be his final outing of the season. Willie Adamas was scratched Tuesday due to left quad discomfort, the same injury that he was on the IL for earlier in the month. Royals manager Mike Matheny said Tuesday that Carlos Hernandez will not start this week, but will be available out of the Mm. bullpen. Four Reds, including Jesse Winker, Mike Moustakis, Wade Miley, and Shogo Akiyama, were ruled out for the rest of the season, which... Makes sense. The Reds have uh, been eliminated from playoff contention. Yadier Molina was scratched due to shoulder soreness on Tuesday. Alec Bohm was recalled from AAA, but was not in the starting lineup for the Phillies. Albert Pujols was placed in the IL without any injury designation, which means it's likely COVID-related. Get well soon, Albert Pujols. Bailey Ober placed in the IL with a hip strain. And some pretty cool moments from the past couple days I wanted to mention. On Monday, Bradley Zimmer homered off of his brother. Kyle Zimmer, which I thought was uh, was pretty interesting there. you have any mm-hmm. sibling rivalry, Scott, with your brother? Well, my brother's four years younger than me, and oh, we're in he, the same we're in the same boat. My brother is four years younger as well. Yeah, my brother and I operate in very different worlds. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm much closer in age to my sister, my older sister. She's a year and a half older than me. So growing up, it was kind of the two of us and then him which um, <laughs> looking back probably wasn't very nice to him, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not in a long time, I would say not in a long time. Have there been any kind of, any kind of sibling rivalry rivalry, but that was a fun highlight between the Zimmer brothers there. Cause like <laughs> you could tell they were both trying so hard <laughs> not to express themselves and it was just kind of creeping through anyway. It was funny. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We actually have the same sibling composition, Scott. We are both uh, middle children. I have an older sister. I have a younger brother. I used to get in trouble so much when I was a kid because I would never let my brother win at anything. And <laughs> my parents would be like, you know, they would pull me aside and just be like, ah, just just let him win. You know, it'll it'll be all right. You know, I'm just, nope, ultra competitive. We would play wiffle ball together. Yeah. I was just like, nope, not happening, not letting him win. So it's pretty messed up in hindsight, but uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? I was a kid, right? So yeah, uh, Noah Syndergaard made his return as an opener Tuesday. It's 
awesome moment for him, striking out two of the three batters that he faced. I believe he is also an unrestricted free agent. So I don't know what his role will be in 2022 because obviously just getting back from Tommy John, he's only going to throw one inning. I assume maybe he throws one more in relief uh, another day this week, but I don't know. I don't know if some team is going to want to use Noah Syndergaard as a starting pitcher next season. Let's take a quick break. When we return, Scotty's first two rounds for 2022. We'll talk about it here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, so let's fire it up. Mention the article is live on the site. If you want to follow along, I will throw the link in the podcast and the YouTube description, and let's jump right in. The first round here, Fernando Tatis, the first overall pick, 41 homers and 25 steals. And given all the time that he's missed, it's just awesome. On like a per-game basis, how amazing he has been. So another one where it'll be interesting. There's been talks that, he was going to have uh, surgery in the offseason, and then a couple of weeks ago, he shot that down. So I don't really know where we're well, at. Well, he, he was still open to the idea, but he, he made it clear that it wasn't a sure thing. So lingering concerns about the shoulder injury if he doesn't have surgery, and then new concerns about the recovery if he does have the surgery. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wish there wasn't that hanging over the head of... of what should be the first overall pick. And I think the first overall pick, regardless of format, by the way, I mean, it's an easier call in, in Roto Leagues and 5 by 5 Leagues because of the power-speed combo. But, I, you know, his, in terms of fantasy points per game, he was also, he's also been the number one hitter this year. So, and he's still eligible, which is nice. Shortstop and outfield. He'll, he'll carry over outfield eligibility into next year. So I expect Tatis will be the first pick in most every league unless we just hear something really bad about the shoulder between now and then. All right, Tatis goes first overall. Second overall, you have Ronald Acuna who had 24 homers and 17 steals when he tore his ACL back on July 10th. By the way, he is still a top 75 player in Roto despite not playing a game since mid-July, which is just a testament to how amazing he was playing. But... I mentioned that mock draft uh, that is being done by other 
analysts in the industry right now. And Ronald Acuna lasted all the way to 12 in that one. Yeah. So. Yeah, obviously concerns over his recovery from a torn ACL. We can't say for sure at this point that he's going to be ready for the start of next year, though that's certainly within the realm of possibility. And I think probably even the expectation at this point. Uh, I don't really understand the motivation to straddle the fence right now, say, okay, well, I'm going to downgrade him this certain amount because I don't really know if... I don't really know how his recovery from a torn ACL is going to go. By the time we're actually drafting, we'll probably have a really good idea how his recovery from a torn ACL has gone. And um, you'll either want to draft him second overall if it's gone well, and if it hasn't gone as well, if it sounds like he's still a couple months away from returning, then you're probably not even going to draft him as early as 12th. So I'm putting him second for now until I hear something that causes me to, to not want to take him second. And I imagine... I imagine I'll he- if 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 I do hear that thing, it'll happen before I'm actually drafting a team that matters. All right, third overall in this mock that you put together, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is just having a phenomenal year. 46 homers, 120 runs scored. I don't know if people realize just how many runs scored he has, but it's a ridiculous amount, all while batting 313. You have Juan Soto, fourth overall. A ridiculous second half here. 362 batting average, 18 homers, four steals, a 1204 OPS. And then that brings us to someone who's really had the opposite second half. And that's Shohei Otani. You have fifth overall, 228 batting average, 830 OPS, a 31% strikeout rate in the second half. Still does have 12 homers and 12 steals. So he's making things happen uh, despite that lower batting average. I don't know. I really don't know with Otani right now, Scott. It's hard for me to say. I, I think if I was personally on the board, I, I just I prefer to play it safe in, in the early rounds. And uh, given the second half, and obviously the the possibility that he puts himself at more injury risk because he pitches as off as often as he does, I don't I don't think that I'm I, I would take Otani that early. But I understand why you have him here. Yeah, and I think you're you'll probably be going against the consensus if that's the case. He may have gotten a little tired in the second half. He may have just, you know, kind of kind of slumped a little because guys who strike out as much as that tend to do that. But um, I mean, you look at the you look at the home run numbers, you look at the stolen base numbers, especially in roto leagues. That has to go in the first round, and to me, it's more. Uh, to me, the upside is more sets them apart from the next two hitters on the list here, Trey Turner and Jose Ramirez. I mean, they're just not going to be capable of meeting what Otani has done this year, just at the plate. And you know, someone brought up the point, if if you play in a league that has daily lineup changes, where should Otani go? Probably first, right? You want to yeah. get literally all his pitching stats and all his hitting stats because him batting on the days he pitches you know, you want to get those batting stats provided you started him a pitcher that day, but you'd get most of them. You'd get most, all of his stats and uh, getting that combined production from a single roster spot. That's got to make him the most valuable player in fantasy. You know, not many leagues are going to be set up that way, but for those that are, I I could see, I could understand the case to take Otani earlier than fifth, more than I can later than fifth. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. If, if it's a daily lineup league, I think he is the first overall pick as one player. I know there are some other uh, fantasy providers that have two different players, one hitter Otani, one pitcher Otani. It's worth pointing out that he will be only util only 
uh, again next year. So so keep that in mind. And for what it's worth, if if you are in that league that splits them into two different players, the hitter version of Otani would still be my fifth player. I think the the pitching is just kind of a a nice bonus. Yep, you already mentioned the sixth and seventh player here, Trey Turner and Jose Ramirez. Who uh, Turner has really contributed in all five categories. He's batting three twenty five with twenty five homers and thirty two steals. Jose Ramirez lower batting average, you know that, but power speed combination thirty six home runs, twenty six steals for Jose Ramirez. And then uh, eighth overall, you have Bryce Harper, who much like Juan Soto is just having. A ridiculous second half. 341 batting average, 12-11 OPS, 19 homers, 6 steals. Then you have Mike Trout right behind him, who someone who I think will be uh, a pretty polarizing player. I think in points leagues, the plate discipline, he's still pretty awesome, but he's dealt with injuries pretty regularly the past handful of years. He, he's missed a good chunk of time each of the past you know, uh, five years, basically. And he's not going to run much anymore, so I think that puts a little bit of a damper yeah. on his roto value as well. Uh, yeah, he's missed time over the nothing that there was nothing in his injury history that compelled us to take him outside the first round until maybe this calf injury. But my perspective is it's a calf injury where he's going to have had ten months to rest up. So like, it's got to be better at that point, right? And and obviously a healthy Trout is first round caliber player, somebody who could still probably compete to be the best player in fantasy. Uh, rounding out your first round, you do have Bo Bichette. I'm so happy you came around, Scott. Bo Bichette. Yeah, well, on, him on Harper both. I, I, gave, I gave you pushback for both Bichette and Harper in the first round. Uh, but just the five category production for Bichette. And obviously the fact that, you know, a big part of that is stolen bases and they're hard to come by. Yeah, I think I think you have to take him as high as tenth in Roto. He he's of the players we've mentioned so far, far he would probably drop the most in a points league. He would probably be more like a late second rounder in a points league than a late first rounder, since he doesn't walk much. But uh, obviously, getting those steals and the high batting average and everything else, yeah, I got him tenth here. At 11th and 12th, you have Jacob DeGrom and Freddie Freeman. Freeman rock solid, 300 batting average this year, 31 homers, and uh, 117 runs scored. It's a massive number for Freddie Freeman. DeGrom, obviously, uh, what happens in the offseason and, and how his arm and elbow are looking for next year will will determine where he is drafted uh, in 2022 drafts. Let's start off the second round, and you have Mookie Betts as the 13th overall player. And I look at his numbers... I can't I can't really figure out what went wrong, Scott. Unless, you know, he's been on the IL a few times this year. Maybe he was kind of been playing through injury all year long, but 21 homers, 10 steals, only a 268 batting average. Is he getting up there in age? He I mean he's he's going to turn 29 on October 7th. I I think that's still a, a player in his prime. So, yeah. What'd you see here? Like what went wrong for Mookie Betts this year? I think Health, mostly. Uh, you know, before he had that first long stretch on the I.O. with the hip injury, which we now know is going to require surgery in the offseason. So that that first I.O. stint for the hip came in July, and he was, he was looking like first-round Mookie Betts in the weeks leading up to that. And uh, obviously then went on the I.L. a couple times with that same injury and is playing through the injury now. So... You know, I, I think you have to factor that in. He's he is still in the prime of his career. He has a very stable, studly track record. 
And originally I had him, when I just first started laying out the names, I had him seventh. I had him ahead of Bryce Harper and Mike Trout as well as Jose Ramirez. It was pretty easy for me to slot Ramirez ahead of him. But then Bryce Harper and Mike Trout versus Mookie Betts, I had to think about that for a while. And ultimately what I decided is that like Betts doesn't have near the power upside of Harper or Trout. So it really comes down to how much he's going to run. And after all the hip issues this year, approaching his 30th birthday, in a loaded lineup for a team that doesn't really, uh, you know, isn't inclined to take a lot of risks on the base paths anyway. I don't know how much he's going to run moving forward. I I could see him becoming just like a 12 to 15 steals guy as opposed to 25 to 30. And that would be hard to justify in the first round if it's only 12 to 15. So I got him as the first pick in the second round. And if he he ends up having, you know, a retro Mookie Betts season, so be it. Obviously, that's nothing to complain about at that point. Yeah, no, I think this is actually a good range this early on. There's going to be some moving parts given uh, other injuries. So we'll see what happens. You mentioned the second round is filled with pitchers. The next five picks here are pitchers. Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, Corbin Burns, Walker Bueller, and Brandon Woodruff. And I think those are all names that are deserve that deserve to be in this spot. So, uh, yeah, it really it comes down to I'm not sure which belongs second, you know, among pitchers after Degrom. And of course, it may end up being first, depend huh? depending on what happens to Degrom this offseason. He may get pushed down quite a bit. Uh, but Cole, Scherzer, Burns, Bueller, Woodruff—that's the order I have them in. I could see the case for any of Cole Scherzer, Burns, and Bueller in that second spot. Woodruff, not so much. I think Woodruff is clearly the last of this group. But, um, you know, I kind of went with the legacy pick there in Cole. I think there's a very strong case to make for Burns. He has like a 156 FIP this year. Uh, The reason I I put him behind both Cole and Scherzer is those two are obviously battle-tested and you expect them to pile up innings every year. And Burns' big jump in innings this year, not really sure how his arm's going to respond to that next year. That's always a question when it it happens to a pitcher for the first time. So that's why I slotted him behind Cole and Scherzer. But pitch for pitch, I think Burns is probably the best pitcher in baseball now outside of DeGrom. 19th overall, you have Kyle Tucker, who is also having a great second half. 320 batting average, 1006 OPS, 13 homers, 7 steals. He's really been great since May. It was just an awful April that he got off to. And and we were telling people at the time, buy low on Kyle Tucker because all the underlying numbers looked great for him. And uh, that's come come to fruition here in the second half for him. Marcus Semien, 20th overall. This will determine... um, this will be based on, I think, where he signs in the offseason, right? So this can change if, uh, obviously, if he goes back to Toronto, I think this is very justifiable, this range, for Semyon, who has 43 homers and 15 steals. But if he goes to a less hitter-friendly environment, maybe he drops down to, like, the third round, something like that. But I think that's yeah. up in the air. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I will point out he's actually hit the majority of his home runs on the road this year. A lot of those were AL East parks, and they're all pretty hitter favorable, except Tampa Bay. So I I don't know that that necessarily says anything, but it it's not like he was just taking advantage of the Blue Jays' many hitter friendly venues that they played in this year. But yeah, I mean the numbers are just I I 
I have a skepticism toward what Simeon did this year, but the numbers are just too ginormous to really justify ranking him any lower, especially since, you know, 2019 and 2021 both. Uh, MVP caliber player. If he signs like San Francisco, a big park like that, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, it justifies moving him down. But if he signs... Uh, there, there's probably 20 parks he could end up at, and and this is still where I'd take him. One that comes to mind for me is maybe Cincinnati. I don't know if they want Barrero to be their starting shortstop for next year. I, I guess it's a possibility. He played a few games in the outfield, but they definitely could be in the market for a shortstop. And if Semyon goes to Cincinnati, it's a great park, park to hit in as well. So I don't think that that would affect his value very much. Just something random that, that popped into my head. And uh, I was definitely way off on Semyon this year. And I cited the fact that entering 2021, two of his past three years, he's had a 706 OPS or less. And now it's it's the reverse, right? So 2021 mm-hmm. and 2019, he's had an 882 OPS or better. So I think uh, it's looking more like 2020 was the outlier for Marcus Semyon. Not that he's going to do necessarily this again, but can he hit 265 with 30 homers and 15 steals? If he does that, he's worthy of being a second round pick. So the last four names that will round out the second, the second round here, Shane Bieber, Zach Wheeler, uh, Luis Robert and Rafael Devers. We spoke about Robert a little bit early on. Rafael Devers chips in a few steals, but overall, you know what you're getting a pretty high batting average home runs, runs and RBI for sure from uh, Rafael Devers. Scott, was there anyone who just missed the top two rounds here that you were really debating kind of uh, trying to sweep squeeze in? No, actually, I had a hard time with that last spot, the number 24 spot, where I ultimately slotted Devers just because that seemed like it was going to be kind of a consensus pick. I don't know personally if I really want to rank Devers ahead of Manny Machado, who I, of course, left out, because Machado has more steals ability and um, you know a track record of doing things much like Devers did this year at the plate. Um so that was a close call between those two. I considered Cedric Mullins, who, of course, is coming off a 30-30 season. Not much of a track record of him doing that, though. I considered Starling Marte. But I'm, I'm trying to be conscious not to deliberately draft for stolen bases because I, I just think that's a losing approach. You end up costing yourself in too many other categories. So a pure base dealer like Starling Marte, I'm trying not to... I'm trying to be a little low on him intentionally. Um, And then I also considered Robbie Ray, who I think would be my next pitcher after Zach Wheeler. And I think probably it's not clear who, like I think Robbie Ray is clearly the next pitcher to go beyond the one I have here in rounds one and two. And then after him, I think it's a pretty big drop off. You still have, you know, Clayton Kershaw, Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, but I might not start taking those guys, not in a roto league anyway. I might not, take them for an, like another round, like round three, maybe Robbie Ray's my only pitcher. And then I don't start taking those guys, maybe late in round three and certainly in round four. Yeah. I think that makes sense too. Uh, I think Luis Castillo would probably be in that mix. If you trust so, what he's done the final, you know, three, four months here, Sandy Alcantara. Yeah. He's another name. mix. Lance Lynn, Kevin Gosman. Yeah. Gosman's in that mix. Yep. All right. Yep. So, uh, look, this was this was fun. I don't know if you were looking at the rundown, Scott, but I actually have the two names for me that that I th- thought just missed were, were Starling Marte and Cedric Mullins, and those were the yeah. first two names that you mentioned. So No, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's, 
Uh, look at that simpatico, right? You would imagine, yeah, after doing as many podcasts together as we have, yeah, we've, we've kind of got some things down here. Let's recap the past couple days and a few things here. Again, like, there's not much actionable at this point, but we'll talk about a few players who are doing notable things. Jonathan India, a sock and a shoe on Monday, now up to a 273 batting average, 21 homers, 12 steals, 96 runs scored, good eye at the plate, gets on base, doesn't strike out very much. He's the 55th ranked player in Roto entering Tuesday and averaging 3.1 fantasy points per game, which is top 10 at both second base and third base. He will have uh, both of those eligibilities in 2022. And I I think I'm going to be pretty excited about Jonathan India here, Scott. I I don't know if he's a huge upside play, but even though he's young, I feel pretty good about his floor. Yeah, I would agree. I think, at third base, especially, he will be eligible at third base next year. I didn't mm. realize he got that much playing time there. You know, I'll pull time. it up. As soon as I said it, I was like, that might not be true. But I <laughs> yeah, appreciate I you calling almost, me out. <laughs> I thought he was almost exclusively a second baseman, but, um, but yeah, I think uh, I think he'll probably be uh, like right at right in the ten to twelve range in my second base rankings. Yeah, he he's only played second base. Yeah, what am I year, what so am I not, even saying? Right, he's only second base eligible. Yeah. So that's a shame because third yeah. base is actually, there's actually a greater need at third base. It would almost definitely be a top 10 player there. But I agree. That's, that's probably the right assessment. Um, I'm not sure how much growth potential he has from here. He's already exceeded our expectations for power and frankly for speed while getting on base a ton. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he could get better. I remember saying at one point in time, Jose Ramirez, when he was, you know, like a 15-20 guy with a high batting average. Ah, oh, well, it was great that he did that, but he can't get any better, can he? And then obviously he has. So can never can never say with too much certainty for a player just starting out. Yep, and uh, his teammate, Joey Votto, obviously having just a massive resurgence in uh, 2021. Double dong on Monday, now batting 271 with 35 home runs. He's going to be an interesting one to uh, to figure out for next year. How much stock do we put into uh, this this breakout, this re-breakout, I guess, for Joey Votto? Eloy Jimenez hit his tenth home run on Monday, and I you know I looked into him because I didn't realize he's been pretty underwhelming overall. Eloy Jimenez, obviously, he's coming back from the uh, the chest injury, so it's something he might still be playing uh, playing through. But two sixty one batting average, seven seventy one OPS, the batted ball data, the hard contact, the exit velocity. It's down this year. Uh, his home run to fly ball ratio is down as well. Maybe that's due to the uh, to the ball, the the D juice ball, I guess you could call it. Uh, but I do like that the ground balls were down and the line drives were up. So it's kind of a mixed bag here for Eloy Jimenez, Scott. Yeah, and ultimately, I think it's going to be too small of a sample to take a whole lot from it. Obviously, we hoped for more, but we were denied four months of what might have been more, you know? So... Clearly, Luis Robert is the preferred option in fantasy now of those up-and-coming White Sox outfielders. And, uh, you know, I kind of laid out rounds three and four just to to make sure I was happy with who I had in round two. And I, I didn't even really consider Aloy Jimenez through round four. So we're probably talking round five or six for him next year. Maybe Maybe even like seven, I don't know. I mean, he's not going to contribute anything in steals. I do think that if he hits his 
high end upside, his whatever ninetieth percentile outcome or better. Yeah, then, that's probably like a second round player. Yeah, I, I've called him like I think his best season when he does have it because he's going to have it. He, he's still young enough where I think we're going to get that that breakout season for him. I think it looks like Nolan Arenado when he was in Coors Field. I think like a legit four category contributor. Maybe the mm-hmm. runs not as much because he doesn't walk all that all that often. But thirty five well, homers, two ninety Arenado. So. Yeah, 290 batting average, 35 homers, 100 plus RBI. I think one of these years we'll get that from uh, Eloy Jimenez. Scott, you laughed at me for picking up Alcides Escobar, but I will just point out he's got four hits with an RBI and a run scored in two games at Coors Field. So take that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Taken. Taken. All right. If you have stream, if you stream Cole Irvin, uh, I am sorry. At the Mariners on Monday, three innings, four runs, uh, four strikeouts, five starts against Seattle this year. He's got an 8.69 ERA, so whatever Cole Irvin was doing, it was not working against the Seattle Mariners this season. Part of that was uh, Mitch Hanniger, who had a double dong on Monday. He added another home run on Tuesday. That brings him to 38 home runs for Mitch Hanniger this season. Hasn't really done much else. You know, RBI runs are okay. Just hasn't really run. He's, I think he's right around like a 260 batting average, so it, it's an awesome year, no doubt about it. Just... Realize he's not really giving you much else uh, outside of power. Ty France went four for four with three runs and four RBI on Monday. Uh, he's batting 295, but with only 18 home runs on the season. Move over to Tuesday, and uh, these young power hitters for the Marlins, I-, I think they're pretty interesting, Scott. You know, Lewin Diaz, we we spoke about recently. Uh, I think last week we brought his name up a few times, but now back to back days with a homer. He's batting 257 with eight home runs in September. And then uh, Jesus Sanchez hit another home run on Tuesday, and he's having a big September himself. 273 batting average, eight homers, a 941 OPS. And I really like that as a left-handed batter, he has strong lefty-righty splits this year. He, he's, I mean, they're basically, it's basically a mirror, uh, what he's done against lefties versus what he's done against righties. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think Lewin Diaz and, and Jesus Sanchez, there might be something for next year. Yeah, I try to approach up-and-comers who haven't really shown us who they are yet, shown us what they're capable of being yet, just because there hasn't been enough time. I, I try not to put firm limits on their upside. I think I heard, one point in time, I heard the, the Cleveland Indians organization was like that too. That's, that's kind of the approach they take with young players, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense. But just... From what I know about Diaz and Sanchez, I don't see either having a huge ceiling. I think the hope for them is that they develop into steady mid-round contributors in fantasy. And obviously the odds are against them both doing that. But I I think that's kind of the kind of upside we're talking about with them. And, And they've both shown enough signs that maybe they can get to that level. Francisco Lindor just hit his 19th home run and very sneakily, has 19 home runs and 10 steals in 120 games. Batting average, not so great. He's having a big September. Lindor, 258 batting average, 8 homers, 911 OPS. Fly ball rate is up. The average exit velocity, 93 miles per hour. He's got a near 13% barrel rate in September. Overall, the season has been a letdown, a pretty massive letdown, Scott. We can all agree on that. But does this September and the fact that we've seen other big stars in first year in a new place, in, in a new contract, uh, struggling. Does that give you any hope heading into next year? 
I don't really know what to do with Francisco Lindor because there were some people who were fading him coming into this year. And not just not because he signed with the Mets, just because the 2020 season, you know, he kind of underwhelmed then too. And we most of us were going to give him a pass for it because small sample and good track record and the underlying numbers didn't look that different. Uh, but you could say a lot about that this year too. And um, other than other than September, it's still not even a great batting average for September. Said a few home runs. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. He's very young still, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he bounced back with another first round type season. But he's not a player I was considering for the first four rounds either, Lindor. And I don't think you should. I think that's fair. I think we're going to get Lindor at a good discount next year. And I think it's warranted, obviously, based on this entire season in 2020. But I think I'm going to be in, man. Like the prime of his career, it depends how, how big that discount is. But yeah, I, I like this yeah, final I mean, month. If he becomes the Carlos Correa of this year, the Corey Seeger of two years ago, where we're talking about draft him in like round nine, round 10. I I could get all over that. Yeah. But if it's round four or five, I don't know. I I I think I'll probably be out if that's the case. I think it'll be somewhere in the middle of what you just said. I think probably settles in in like the sixth or seventh. I think that could make sense for uh, for Francisco Lindor. Trevor Rogers giving us that late season confidence after a few blips. On the radar, he was at the Mets on Tuesday. Five innings, one run, six strikeouts to zero walks. He had 15 swinging strikes on 89 pitches, and he averaged 95 miles per hour on his fastball, which is up from his season average. So a nice little end here for Trevor Rogers. Scott, would you like to guess how many hits Frank Schwindel had on Tuesday? I'm going to say Frankie two hits had two hits. Oh, yeah. 336 batting average, a 995 OPS in 59 games. Another... Yeah. Fun, random player to rank for next year. Uh, that would have be... been his full season in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> 59 oh, games. Yeah, that would have... Uh, oh God. Now I'm thinking that would have been a disaster to try and figure out coming into this season. I hope he carries it over, man. Like I've been following this guy's career in the, in the minors. He's bounced around, journeyman, and uh, he's got big pop. He puts the ball in play. So He was one of those... I, uh, I mostly associate him... You know, I cover covering spring training pretty closely, closer than the average baseball person would. And Frank Schwindel was one of those no-names who'd just go off one spring. <laughs> I think I think it actually happened a couple springs in his career. And uh, he just filed that name away, and suddenly he shows up as a 29-year-old, has a job, and look what he's doing. I think he's probably going to be in my top 20 at the first base heading into next year. It's always difficult to say until you line up the names. There's, you know, just going off the top of your head, you'd end up forgetting about some. But uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be so quick to write him off. Bottom right. line. Let's quickly wrap up with a few other things here uh, from Tuesday. Chris Sale, five and a third, three runs, six strikeouts at the Baltimore Orioles. He's now up to forty and a third innings pitched. And what would you uh, look? It's super early. What, what do you think a fair projection for his innings in 2022 will be, Scott? For Chris Sale. Oh, I think I think they'll get him to 150. 150, 160 maybe even. Yeah, I think that makes sense. He threw 147 and a third back in 2019. 
158 back in 2018. So that, I mean, that's that's basically where he's lived um, the past healthy in quotes years, I guess. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, after an awful April, now has 31 home runs in 114 games from May 1st on. That's a 40 homer pace over 150 games. Stop me if you've heard this before. Both Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton homered on Tuesday. Number 37 for Judge, 35 for Stanton. We had a pitcher's duel between Charlie Morton and Zach Wheeler with a National League East on the line. And uh, Zach Wheeler, seven innings, two runs, seven strikeouts. Charlie Morton beats him out. Seven shutout with 10 strikeouts. Very strong ends of the year for Charlie Morton. And and Wheeler, all five of his starts in September have been gems. So he's really, after kind of a bumpy August, I think July may have been a little shaky too. Like his September is the reason why I still have him as a second rounder going into next year. Randy Rosarena hit his 20th home run. And how would you judge his season, Scott? Obviously, he has the awesome postseason last year. There were high expectations. 272 batting average, 20 homers, 16 steals, and 813 OPS. I, I think overall it's a little underwhelming. Yeah, I think he more or less lived up to his draft position, but I think most people who drafted him were hoping he'd be more than this. Ronaldo Lopez. He's now down to a 2.98 ERA, 0.89 whip, six innings, one run, four strikeouts against the Reds on Tuesday. And uh, I saw at Baseball Pods on Twitter, I know he listens to a ton of fantasy baseball content and he, he does great work himself. He suggested adding Ronaldo Lopez in all of your dynasty leagues, wherever he's available. Carlos, Carlos Rodon, we mentioned, is an unrestricted free agent, and uh, they do have a history with turning former top prospects around the Chicago White Sox. What do you think, Scott? Would you be looking to add Ronaldo Lopez in dynasty? Well, now you got me throwing a particular person under the bus by going <laughs> against him. But How dare you? Uh, n- no, I don't. I mean, it's been a long time since he's been a prospect. I mean, guess you could say that about Carlos Rodon coming in too, but yeah, still not a very deep arsenal. And three of his four starts prior to this one were pretty rough. Vulnerable to the long ball, not a big strikeout pitcher. I think his stuff may work in relief, but I think I, I don't. I, I I think the kinds of starts like he had Tuesday would be more the exception than the rule. Still, as, as they've been throughout his career, so I'm not I'm not terribly motivated to to get behind that pickup. It was like a long term thing. All right, all right, Scott. Let's be honest. You're just jealous because I picked him up in the Scott White Dynasty League, and you didn't. <laughs> you missed out. Uh, no, I, I actually. I somewhat agree with you because uh, while he's pitched well this year, the the arsenal is basically four seam and slider, and we've seen uh, a lot of pitchers, in uh, even in recent years, um, can't really survive with two pitches. So maybe he he gets that curveball or changeup back on track, but I think he needs to expand that arsenal if he wants to remain a starting pitcher. A few bullpen updates for the Nationals on Monday. Tanner Rainey got the save, and he now has two of the last three for the Washington Nationals. For the Pirates on Tuesday, Chris Stratton got his seventh save with David Bednar pitching in the eighth inning. For the Orioles on Tuesday, Cole Sulser picked up his eighth save. For the Twins, Alex Colome gave up two runs but picked up his 17th save. And uh, I think that should be officially called the Colome, right? If you give up two runs and still manage to get a save, it just it feels like every time I look at a box score, that is exactly what Alex Colome does. For the Rangers... 
Joe Barlow got his 10th save. And for the Rockies, Carlos Estevez also picked up his 10th save. To stream or not to stream for Wednesday. Logan Gilbert up against the Oakland A's. Drew Rasmussen, both MLB and ESPN have him starting on Tuesday, uh, on Wednesday at the Astros. And I searched Twitter, I searched Google, I could not find anything on whether Rasmussen is starting Wednesday. I hope he is, because I picked him up and started him in Tower Wars. Daniel Lynch is going up against Cleveland, Michael Pineda versus the Tigers, Adrian Hauser at the Cardinals, and Taylor Hearn versus the Angels. Gilbert, Logan Gilbert, he's the one I want here. And uh, if I have to pick a second, uh, probably Hauser at St. Louis. Nah. And Pineda versus Detroit isn't bad either. Yeah, that's that's where I was leaning. Uh, Michael Pineda versus the Tigers. How about for Thursday? Tony Gonsolin versus the Dodgers. Joe Ryan. No, Tony Gonsolin would be going against the... Padres. Uh, yeah, Padres. Yes, yeah, he, not the Dodgers. You cannot face the team that you pitch for. That that would make a ton of sense, actually. Uh, Joe Ryan versus the Tigers. Money. Tyler McGill versus the Marlins. Meh. Justin Steele at the Pirates, Alex Cobb at the Rangers, and Nick Pavetta at the Orioles. So definitely on board with Ryan against the Tigers. Definitely on board with Cobb at the Rangers. This is a good list. Yeah. I think Anselin against the Padres would be my third choice, but it's not clear that he'll go particularly deep into that start. You know, McGill versus the Marlins, it's a good matchup, obviously, but he's just been been so shaky lately. It feels feels riskier than Anselin. All right, we do have a fantasy justice question from Aaron, but I'm going to save that for Friday because somehow, with four days left in the season, I managed to go long on this podcast. So it's just kind of a, a microcosm of my hosting ability, I think, uh, throughout the course of the entire season. So we'll wrap there. We'll take your fantasy justice question on Friday. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Friday. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the Men's Sunday Performance Jogger And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.